Welcome to the Idea Week podcast, where investors and entrepreneurs share their wisdom and insights into investing, business, and life. The Idea Week podcast is brought to you by MOI Global, the membership community of intelligent investors. Members of MOI Global enjoy special access to Idea Week, the annual winter summit that brings together investors and entrepreneurs in one-of-a-kind St. Moritz, Switzerland. And now, here is your host, John Mihaljevic. It's a great pleasure to welcome to the conversation Edwin De Bruyne, Managing Partner with Engine Capital, which is based in London as well as uh, Zurich. Uh, Edwin has uh, many years of experience in the investment and finance industry. Uh, Most notably, he spent about 13 years uh, with Morgan Stanley, most recently as executive director there. Uh, Edwin, the topic for today is global brand equity investing. I know that NGEN uh, pursues that particular strategy of equity investing, and uh, so we'll, we'll delve into that. Uh, perhaps just at the outset, uh, you could tell us a little bit about your background and uh, how you became interested in the topic of uh, global brand investing. Well, uh, thank you, John, and thank you for um, asking me uh, to uh, to present what I do currently and what I've been doing. So it's a real pleasure. Um, let me start by um, how I ended up in finance. Um, so my career started in finance as a summer intern at Morgan Stanley in uh, 2000. Um, you have to remember these were the internet days, huh? so these were the days of internet stocks and companies such as Coca-Cola or strong brands were definitely not the place to be. I remember people saying at the time that people like Warren Buffett was the most overrated investor in the world. Um, we can all laugh now, but that was really um, the way people felt at the time. I also recall people saying the fixed income was no asset class. So it took me really a while to figure out what um, um, investing was all about. Remember, I started in wealth management in 2000 with a uh, with an engineering background and equipped with an MBA. I started my career. So um, luckily, at some point, I figured out that a very simple investment strategy, such as investing in strong brands, can actually work uh, quite well. And it is not that special. You just uh, you just essentially hang in there. So I became familiar with uh, Morgan Stanley's global brand strategy at some point in time, which uh, never had a down year from 1996 till 2007. And uh, looking back now, 21 years later, the only negative calendar year was in 2008. So that was clearly quite appealing to um, to to investors. So when that fund was closed for new investors somewhere in 13 or 14, uh, I took a closer look at what my colleagues at Morgan Stanley Global Brands were doing. Because um, having this this fantastic performance for such a long period, I was wondering, are these very talented stock pickers or are they just fishing in the right bucket of companies? Or maybe both. 
And at the time, at some point, I found a very interesting article, which is called uh, Brands Matter, uh, which was written by uh, Madden and, and, and others. And that showed that a market cap weighted portfolio of companies which are associated with strong brand names outperforms the general market at lower levels of risk. Well, that sounds fantastic. So we wanted to do some additional analysis ourselves. And uh, we found out that an equally weighted portfolio of companies with strong brand names also significantly outperforms the market over time. Just looking by the, at, at all kinds of backtests that we did. And what was really interesting is that even if one had consistently picked uh, the most expensive quartile of stocks in terms of uh, PE, the performance was also better. So when Morgan Stanley shut down as wealth management business in 2014, I decided to launch my own strategy with, uh, with some former colleagues. So that's how I ended up doing what I'm currently doing, uh, John. Wonderful. Uh, could you provide a, an overview of uh, the investment strategy you've been involved with um, most recently with Engine? How are you approaching uh, this uh, area of uh, global brands? Uh, um, just, just very simply, what we do is we, we compile a list of companies that are uh, associated with, uh, with strong brand names. Now, the question is, of course, first, what is a strong brand name and who defines which company should be in there? It would be an awful lot of work to, uh, to figure it out all ourselves. So um, we took a more pragmatic approach and we looked at uh, universes that already exist. And uh, you should think of uh, companies like Interbrands and Brand Directory that make those lists on a regular basis. In fact, they update it every year. So, so this universe is where we all start from. And what we do is uh, from that universe of companies with strong brand names, we select shares of those companies uh, on a systematic uh, yet fundamental basis. So it sounds very simple, but... Um, and it is really. So what we try to do is within that universe of companies, we try to pick those companies that are either cheap um, or ready the financials are in uh, improving. And if they are not improving and in fact deteriorating or prices are too high, we take them out of the portfolio. Um, now we have made some changes to the universe itself. So for example, we do not invest in energy and materials. And there is a big tilt towards consumer staples, as you might expect, I suppose, um, uh, consumer discretionary, IT and healthcare. Um, yeah, we have currently have two years live track record. Uh, we're very happy with the performance, but uh, yeah, it's too short a time frame to determine whether we have luck or whether it's skill. But I have full confidence that this is um, yeah, a nice way of compounding uh, returns over time. And help us maybe understand just a little bit better kind of uh, the mix of quantitative versus qualitative analysis as part of your process. Well, there is very little qualitative input there, uh, apart from the fact that we take out sectors such as, uh, well, the, the qualitative part is mostly how we define the, the universe of companies in the first place. That is a subjective and, and uh, uh, not really fundamental quantitative um, uh, reasoning behind it. 
So we start with that universe and then we take out materials and energy stocks, um, which we think makes sense. But we don't really take a view on companies per se. Um, so those that take a view on companies are possibly the ones working at Interbrands or Brand Directory. Again, they, they help um, us with uh, populating our universe. But everything that comes after that is purely fundamental. So it's a systematic yet fundamental, fundamental way to, uh, to select companies from that universe. Now, in terms of what we then do in terms of fundamentals, I think you can probably best compare what we do, broadly speaking, with, uh, with the filter that is um, um, developed by uh, Professor Piotrowski. So we take a look at things like uh, profitability, uh, balance sheet, and the company's uh, efficiency. Now, there's one element where, let's say, a subjective or a qualitative view comes into play as well, which is that if we have determined with, let's say, the Piotrowski model that a company is worth investing, but if the whole analyst universe would be against it, we will not include it in the portfolio. So we do take into consideration the view of uh, street uh, analysts, but we do that in a systematic way. I sure. hope that answers your question, John. Absolutely. Um, you um, earlier alluded to your research on uh, global brand equities and, and some of the findings there. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on uh, some of the, the the lessons coming out of the research. Yeah, it's 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 quite interesting, and the, the most interesting finding, to me at least, is that um, it it almost did not matter what we did with the composition of the portfolio. So, in other words, if, if you just take an equal weighted uh, uh, portfolio with those strong brand names, then you would do better than, than, than a general market. Now, clearly, that is a, a certain time period. We have done, we have looked at different time periods. Um, but even if you had consistently picked the most expensive quartile of companies in terms of PE, you would be better off than, than, than the benchmark. Now, this is something that we found. Another very, very interesting uh, finding that we, um, that we did is that uh, the impact of um, analyst coverage or I would say more that the finding of um, uh, the, the number of analysts covering a stock seems to be a factor uh, that, that can be seen in, 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 in the performance over time. Uh, and the way it plays out is that the less number of analysts a company is, is covered, the better the performance. Now, we have not then done any additional research on this topic. But we have never seen this happening in, 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 in uh, other universes we look at. So it might be the small companies factor that, that comes into play. Eh? So smaller companies typically are covered by fewer number of analysts. Um, but we found it quite interesting nevertheless. But again, we, ha we have not done a lot of uh, additional research on that uh, on the topic. And it is not that easy eh, to... to um, to, to uh, if you look at the research that is available, I uh, just referred to the research article uh, written by Madden uh, and others. There's a few more. Um, you cannot, none of them are completely conclusive in terms of whether the investment in strong brand name 
um, helps generate higher returns over time or not. But I think that if, if you just talk to investors and definitely the people, the clients that we have that invest in this strategy, people are very comfortable with it. And um, I think the most interesting example of why we do what we do is that if you would go to a uh, supermarket and you can buy cola and you can choose between Coca-Cola and uh, let's say Tesco or Coca-Cola, that most people would prefer to buy the brand. I would. And they're also willing to pay a higher price. So this higher margin that you can charge if you have a strong brand name is definitely helping to generate higher returns over time. Um, now, some people might argue that um, yeah, a brand is not that relevant today as it used to be in the past. And they say, well, that might be the case. Um, it might be the case that uh, customer preferences change and certain brands might not be as fashionable as they used to be. So yes, I buy the argument that you should maintain and uh, develop your, your, your brand over time. But I do think, and I'm very convinced that um, brands still matter today. So if, if you, for example, look at what uh, most of the fund investors in, in our community um, look at, they also will be most likely sensitive to the power of brands. Just one example, I'm now currently in the process of setting up the fund. We need to select an auditor. Now we can go for a cheap auditor that nobody has ever heard of, or I can buy, or I can I can hire an expensive one, uh, like her EMY and uh, and PricewaterhouseCoopers. Uh, it it will help, I think, with um, convincing people that this is a decent fund and that the audit is done in a decent way. So even in our world, brands brands matter. And um, another example that I have come across. Um, of why brands are not the way they used to be is the Dollar Shave Club. Now, Dollar Shave Club um, clearly is, is, is a great idea, and the guys setting up the company have done a fantastic job in developing a product and, and a brand. But at the end of the day, it was bought by Unilever, and so was Ben and & Jerry's. And Unilever is part of our universe. And if, let's say, the Dollar Shave Club would not be bought by Unilever, it might have been listed and it would have been in our universe at some point in time as well. So I strongly believe that uh, that brands still are relevant. And uh, a little bit earlier, you talked about um, the Piotrowski um, score or, mm -hmm. or metrics. Um, getting into a little bit more kind of some of the things like returns on capital or management quality or other factors, uh, perhaps mm -hmm. free cash flow, uh, just help us understand, uh, you know, all of that that flows into kind of the quantitative or fundamental side of your process. Well, the, the, the way we run it, we, we, there's clearly quantitative tools that help us. So the, the, all the data we get from Bloomberg, um, so all the um, companies that we uh, can select from, say the universe, is um, entered into Bloomberg and is updated on a regular basis. Now, if you look at uh, the scores of uh, Piotrowski, um, as I said before, so you can break it down in profitability, funding, and, and efficiency. Now, where we look at um, 
um, in, in terms of profitability, we will look at simple things as uh, is the company making a profit? Is it uh, generating cash? Is it making more cash than it is reporting as profit? Uh, is it more profitable than it was last year? So those are all the factors that come into play, four of them for profitability. Then we look at the uh, the funding side of the company. So is the company's long-term debt reducing or stable? You don't want to have a company that is growing by borrowing more and more and more. So those are the things that, uh, that we look at. Is it increasing its ability to pay short-term debts? Um, is the company trading without having to raise additional funds from shareholders? Um, in a way similar to what I said before with uh, the long-term debt. So how is it financing its growth? Uh, is it only financed by issuing new shares? Then you're not going to increase your earnings per share. And then we look at things like efficiency. Is the, uh, the pricing power improving uh, and or are the costs reducing? So are profit margins um, uh, stable or are they improving or, or not? So those are the things we, we, we look at in a systematic way. And then the last one, is it more productive than it was last year? So, um, so and that is measured by the, the, the change in, the, in, in asset turnover. So again, this is broadly what, what Piotrowski has, has developed. Um, the one thing where we deviate is that we do tilt the portfolio towards companies that pay um, higher dividends. And we also tilt the portfolio to consumer staples. And we tilt the portfolio towards lower PE stocks because that seems to be a very strong factor um, when we look at at, uh, at the backtest of the model. So it's, um, it, I would say it's fairly easy and straightforward. It's quite complex to, to make it all work. But the big advantage that we have, since we're dealing with, with these compounding uh, yeah, uh, companies, uh, we don't have to employ our own analysts to, um, to fly around the world and talk to CEOs and, and, and get an opinion on, on uh, whether the company is good or, or, or not. So, um, yeah, and it works out quite nicely so far. And um, people are, but when I just talk to clients in, in this type of uh, environment, when interest rates are low, eh, even negative, um, people really worry what they should do with the money. So when I talk to investors, you go down the whole list of various asset classes and you start with cash um, and let's say safe government bonds. Well, they all realize that that is not the way to compound money over time. Uh, and in fact, if you invest in, um, in let's say German government bonds, you know you're going to lose money for the next 10 years uh, if, if you uh, stay, stay within those bonds. So if you then look at um, markets in general, um, uh, or the, the, the other alternatives out there, then you, you easily and, and quickly end up looking at equities. And there people are super worried about the volatility of, of markets. There's lots of market com commentators now that say that markets are too expensive. And then, yeah, how do you mitigate the volatility of equities? Well, at least we could argue that, well, why don't you invest in companies that um, tend to be less volatile? Again, we have a large tilt to consumer staples. Consumer staples as a sector has delivered um, high returns for the last 40 years or so. And I believe the second lowest um, um, risk, risk level. I think only utilities are less uh, volatile than uh, than staples. So 
yeah, and, and we might have lots of issues in the world uh, with uh, this central government buying of, of debt all over and interest rates at low levels. But I like to think that it's still an inter-Earth uh, problem. We don't have any uh, debt to people uh, living on the moon or Mars. So uh, we, we all have to deal with it on, on this planet. And I think that if you are an owner of companies that um, yeah, have strong brand names, then um, and, and um, globally diversified, and, and, and they sell products that people aspire or want to buy, uh, you, you should be fine. I think that that's the um, the essence of what we try to do. And again, um, this applies to what we do. It, it definitely applies to uh, what most of um, our fellow community members do as well. They just do it in a discretionary way, which is something I don't have the, the skill set for or the experience. So um, uh, there's some great talent um, amongst us and um, so I think maybe David, this is going beyond what what uh, we uh, want to talk about today on, on on brands. But even in in our community, I also see that many people in the value investing community do embrace brands as well. Not the least somebody like Warren Buffett. Maybe that's a too long answer, John, for what uh, what you asked me. But uh, hope hope that um, addresses some of the things that uh, you wanted to talk about. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Maybe just as we finish up, I'm curious um, if there are any uh, geographic tilts in the portfolio. I know we're dealing with global brands uh, mostly, mm -hmm. uh, but just uh, give us a little bit of a, of a flavor for uh, just uh, the geographies uh, represented and any major uh, weights. Well, we, uh, we only focus on developed markets. Um, and the reason is that um, there's it, it's more data availability. We just don't feel that the um, emerging market brands provide the type of data that we need for our analysis. So uh, we are limited in the, to that extent. We'd love to also invest in um, in brands in uh, the, let's say upcoming brands in in, in emerging markets. So it's a developed market uh, portfolio. Um, with a broadly, yeah, bro it's broadly in line with the um, the MSCI World Index. So um, the US is large, uh, Europe is large. We don't own Japan, and that's more for practical reasons than anything else. To be honest, it uh, it, it could be in there, um, but um, yeah, again, we we run this portfolio for various clients, and they have also instructed us to manage it according to certain. Uh, criteria that they're happy with um, but yeah you, you, you could include uh, most of the developed markets again this is a systematic strategy so we need to rely on the data that we can get from our data providers and for developed markets it works best so yeah it's um, broadly in line with the MSR world index in terms of region exposure although you, you do see that we are now, for example, not so much in the U.S. as we used to be, and that's just purely driven from the uh, driven by the, uh, the valuation screen. Apparently, the model cannot find as many attractive price uh, companies in the U.S. as they can do in, in Europe. Quite interesting. 
Absolutely. Well, Edwin, uh, we will leave it there. I uh, very much look forward to uh, seeing you at Idea Week and uh, continuing this conversation on uh, global brands with you. That will be a pleasure. And thanks for having me on this, uh, on this call. And um, again, yeah, also looking forward to meet you again. Thank you so much. Uh, goodbye for now. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Idea Week podcast. Brought to you exclusively by MOI Global, the membership community of intelligent investors. Learn more at moiglobal.com.